0: Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald.
1: Thanks for being with us for another day on the program. Uh, Wednesday, middle of the week, we're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Repeated the show at 10 p.m. Eastern and uh, 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern Time. If you can't stick around with us for the full show, when I say us, Ramya Muthan. Hello.
2: Hello. Happy midday.
1: uh, Yeah. yeah. Or midweek. Yeah. Um, Do you label every day? You know, in your head, like, is Monday like, oh my gosh, Monday, mm. Tuesday. Yeah, it's not bad. I can have for dinner on Tuesday because it's a food day. Wednesday, the middle of the week. Thursday, yeah, we have fun. The show seems so full and different on a Thursday. Friday, swing open the gateway. Get out of here.
2: Get out of here, will you? Friday's the only one that's that the
1: gateway it? to
2: the weekend day. Yes, and then other days, I think I'd label based on the biggest, task or thing of the day. It doesn't have to be task. But for example, we tape our AMI audiobook review weekly podcasts on Wednesday. So that's AR day for me. And then I don't know. Every other day is kind of what it is.
1: Roundtable Thursday.
2: Round table Thursday. Yes.
1: Right. Something like that. It's yes. really interesting because I'm sure all of us in our own way do that to keep track of our days, so. our tasks, lists and stuff like that are as uh, Michael Babcock says, the to-do list, you know, uh, it I think it obviously keeps us grounded, but when you don't, if you're off for a week or or things are jumbled around, mm. if we had back when we'd have remotes sometimes on a Saturday, it's incredible how it threw you off.
2: It's true. So so over the summer I was usually biking on Thursdays, right? These right. mini kind of group rides uh, with Trailblazers, and so Thursdays would be Trailblazers days. Yeah, you know, just because that's what would happen every week. But on days that we either don't do it or you know rained out or whatever the case may be I was really really thrown out because it was still Thursday but it didn't feel like it
1: you almost feel lost <laughs> yeah okay let's keep you grounded folks first thing first uh, first things first let's check what's coming up on Kelly and company Greg David is gonna show some love to. US television networks today he's gonna feature TV shows that are debuting and returning of course this September.
2: Ryan Delahunty from Halifax is filling us in on the long-awaited accessible taxi service in Halifax called Extra Care Taxi.
1: We're going to continue a very vital and important conversation with Mary Mammoliti as she continues with safe cooking techniques for the blind and low-vision home cook. Plus, she's going to share a recipe for easy kettle corn. Ooh, this sounds good. That conversation, you don't want to miss it later on in Hour 2 right here on Kelly and Company. Uh, This is a very unpleasant story to share with you folks. You just think of the ramifications. You think of how horrible this is. So I do want to share because we all need to be thinking. And this is some of the unfortunate things that that are happening. And and I guess I'd have to say probably have long before, you know, we were taking note. Um, About 230 whales are stranded on Tasmania's west coast. Just two days after 14 sperm whales were found beached on a nearby island. The Department of Natural Resources and Environment Tasmania says the pod, which is stranded on Ocean Beach, appears to be pilot whales and at least half are presumed to be still alive. A resident told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation the whales were visible near the entrance to a harbour and described the stranding as a massive event. A local official has urged people to stay clear. A team from the Marine Conservation Programme is assembling whale rescue gear and moving in. I'm Charles de Ladesma. Wow. I couldn't imagine. And I know we've had that, you know, up in, in, in Newfoundland and uh, on the coast here where suddenly a pod of whales gets gets jammed up in shallow water or or right up on a beach. And you just think, oh, my goodness, how horrible. And what can we do? And I've heard of people, you know, trying to help go and say, you know, how are you going to roll over a whale to try to get it in, you know, 10 feet into the water, even just to help it or at least to help it get, get wet?
2: hmm You know, it's so... Um incredible when i hear about the specifics of uh, the rescue specifics i went to the air show and they were talking about the search and rescue teams and how hard and how difficult the job is the physical fitness and the on call of it all um but with this it's it's the same thing right you know oh, you hear sure. about something and boom you just go right in uh you get your expertise your personnel um, and everything that you've done to lead up to this and go for it
1: it must be for them to put out a warning, people, stay away. I think the temptation must be there for people to literally try to help. We we love whales. We think they're so, the, the giant beasts, the gentle beasts in their own way. And I really wonder how much of the concern is people seeing them struggling, seeing them there in jeopardy, actually trying to go and help, you know, a bunch of them and, and how unfortunate a, a, a terrible move, mismove, move if you want to call it that, by the whale could injure or kill uh, several people. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of their, hey, guys, we understand. We know it's a horrible thing. We know watching it would be just dreadful. But you don't want to get yourself caught up in that. You will make the problem far worse. So uh, hopefully they get as many as possible back into the water mm-hmm. uh, while they're still in good health. Statistics Canada says uh, with their latest release of 2021 census data, uh, it shows the Indigenous population is still growing, even though it has kind of slowed a little bit, but is still younger than the rest of Canada. The census says Indigenous people make up 5% of the total population in Canada. The Indigenous population grew by 9.4% from 2016 to 2021, which is faster than the non-Indigenous population, but not as rapid as it has been in years past. The Indigenous population is also more than eight years younger on average than the non-Indigenous population. Statistics Canada also found that Indigenous people are much more likely to live in a low-income household.
3: Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
1: I think when I hear this and take away the, the eight years younger um, uh, than the average, we, we talk about countries now, an, an aging population, and they talk about that for childbirth and stuff like that. When you have more uh, older people and less births, um, a decline in, in population can, can be the trend. And it's interesting when you hear, hear it put this way, that yeah, on average, eight years younger is the Indigenous community. You stop and think, well, hold on, what does, oh, Oh, so you mm-hmm. think you know? At least I think I know what that means when it comes to looking at our population and these numbers. I I find it always interesting, especially if you think, okay, it's growth or is there decline? Where's people going? Is it through deaths or people leaving?
2: Yeah, that's really really good because a good point, Kels. Because we talk a lot about the the treatment of uh indigenous communities in our country. We talk about like you know, the services that we need to offer, the the content that we're discussing, et cetera, et cetera, like a lot of the whys, right? But um, not as much of how many people are being affected by these conversations. So the numbers uh, can feel startling sometimes just because of how, uh, you know, f- far off it is that we have these discussions.
1: And you also wonder, uh, uh, with, with some people coming to the country, with some people who've been here, um, and the... the Is there the opportunities to go elsewhere? Is there the locations that, uh, you know, they're desired? We always say that there are a lot of uh, people from the Philippines that come to different countries to work. There's so many expats. What other communities does or doesn't that work for? We'll step aside. Grant Hardy, our reporter out in Vancouver, he's going to hang out with us for a bit because he's got the latest health headlines. If you're listening in and you want to check out what's coming up on the program, you can do that, folks. Just go on Twitter, at AMI-audio. You'll see from segment to segment the posting of who's next and what the topic is. That's on Twitter handle, at AMI-audio. If you have questions for Accessible Media Inc., maybe AMI-tv, AMI-tele, or AMI-audio, feedback at AMI.ca. Best way, just email them. And the gang will help you out with that. That's feedback at AMI.ca. You can always call in and say hello, one 509 4545 Mention it's for Kelly and Company, if you would, please. And also, if you don't mind us using your message on air, you have to mention that too, one 509 4545 Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan at the Home Studio in Toronto. And we welcome from his home out in Vancouver to talk health news today. Reporter Grant Hardy. Hello, Grant. Welcome back.
4: Hello, folks. Thanks for having me on. How's it going?
1: So far, it's not bad. Today, kicking things off, cozy. working our way through the show. What's it from?
2: <laughs> it's cozy. Yeah. Kind of cloudy. Cool. It's Pretty cozy.
1: Different for you too, because you're now at home today versus yes. being over at the AMI office, which just it's, well, it's corporate.
2: Minute change. <laughs>
1: it's a real change right uh Mm -hmm. mr hardy where are we starting today
4: all right let's dive right in because i saw this really interesting headline from the toronto star that has to do with ontario and it is uh the headline is here's what you need to know about ontario's controversial new nursing home law uh so Yeah, so I'm sure you guys have heard about this. Ontario's controversial new law aimed at freeing up hospital beds for an unexpected surge of of COVID-19 and flu patients this fall and winter takes effect today, known as Bill 7, and officially called the More Beds, Better Care Act. It allows hospitals to transfer elderly patients to nursing homes not of their choosing, provided they have been cleared for discharge and consent to the move. While seniors in this position have typically selected five nursing homes where they would like to live, they often remain uh, in hospital as alternative level of care or ALC patients while waiting for a bed in one of their preferred homes. But this can take weeks, months, or years because of the huge number of people, uh, 39,000 on the wait list for nursing homes, and people are saying that the status quo cannot remain. So, just a couple key points about this uh, this um, law: um, patients can be sent very far away, within seventy kilometers in southern Ontario, and one hundred and fifty kilometers in the two northern Ontario dis- uh, health districts. Possibly wow. even further. Mm-hmm. You. Are responsible for paying the cost of the move, even if the nursing home is far away and even if uh, not on your preferred list, even if a wheelchair or stretcher is required Uh, and patients who refuse to be discharged from hospital rooms when alternative care is available will be charged a $400 daily Fee, and honestly, there's not a lot of provision that I can see for matching patients with homes that fit their linguistic, religious, or cultural needs. Wow. So, guys, I have to ask you, technically, this is voluntary. If you don't want to transfer, you just say, no, I don't want to transfer. And that's the end of it. That's And what
1: you pay the pushing, $400. But, yeah. But right.
4: is there some more coercion going on? Because that's what I'm seeing here.
1: So. I'm just going to jump in, Rum. I'm not sure what you may have to say on this. I just want to say that I recall, especially when my father was ill um, before he passed away years ago, and again, I don't know how recent or any of this is now, you refuse, hey, that's not, you know, that's his fifth choice or our fourth choice of nursing homes. We'd like to pass and try to see if a bed comes up at one, at least a second, uh, you know, we would like to hold out. Okay, well, you know, you're going to go to the end of the line, so... They've always used these little coercion things, in my opinion, but I also understand you can't leave people taking up beds in places. I I, I, I just see some of these things that just frighten the heck out of me. You're saving money. You want to save money. You want to make way you say for um, the, the the flu season. You're going to make try, charge $400 for the day. Now, I'm not going to suggest for a moment that staying in a hospital isn't a lot of money if you actually said, I feel like staying overnight in the hospital, hey, and, and paying for a bed. But... Um, I, I just think when you put people in the position of, so, yeah, to get out is better, pay for it. Go to a place that you you don't want to go. It's not even on your list. We can't even be bothered to give you one that's out of the five on your list. That's not possible. We just have to move your butt out of here. Oh, by the way, would you pay for that trip to 70 kilometers away <laughs> where your family and friends can't come see you, where nobody can help you settle in, but we got to move your backside out of here? uh I, I just... It just screams of insensitivity. It screams of what we apparently learned not to do during the pandemic: care for the, the, the most respected people in our in our in our society, our elders, respect our elders, and all we every time it seems like we turn around and thumb our nose at them. Not to mention the families, rum.
2: Yeah. Well, Grant, did you have any, um, follow up yeah. from what, what Kelly was saying?
4: You know, gosh, I could talk about this for hours and we only have a few minutes, but I, I just find it so fascinating that, you know, first of all, uh, housing, right. We know that if you don't have stable housing, um, or the housing that you want, um, essentially you can't focus on any other aspect of your life. And right. to, just pick people up and kind of plunk them down somewhere that's outside of their communities. I think that's deeply problematic. I also find it really in a negative way, intriguing or maybe fascinating is a better word that, um, you know, we all acknowledge that disability is kind of a social construct and that the young and the elderly often require some extra assistance, we're all hopefully going to be at that stage in life one day where we'll be seniors, but we really like, we have some provision for treating our children fairly. No one's going to say, ah, you need help. You need a a baby carriage or something. Oh my gosh. That's so inconvenient for us. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody would do that, but we don't have that same respect or care care. For our elderly people, which I just find so fascinating because,
1: yep. but it used to be the all other way, there. didn't it? It used to be where mm-hmm. we kids, we, well, you just make do you disrespect it, you said, Oh, just suck it up, grow up, or whatever. We used to almost treat kids that way, and and people said, No, you can't do that, you can't set, but we still struggle where before your elders listen to your elders respect your elders and and take care when when mom was getting too old you know there was responsibilities that that children Still is had in
2: many parts of the world you in bet. many parts uh, of the that, world that's it this is not the problem people mm-hmm. are having there are of course other challenges finances and uh, availability of actual care and medical advancements but the the problem is not whether or not you take care of your elders, whether or not you throw them to the curb and uh, go on with your life, because the communities are all under the um, understanding and empathy that our elders matter in society. Now, here, what I'm seeing is this very reactive situation. Uh-oh. Too many people, too many beds needed and not enough of anything. uh, So we need to start doing something. That's what they're saying, right? We need to start doing something. Status quo is no longer going to work. Well, my question really is, why didn't we start this years ago? Why didn't we start this before the pandemic? You know, this thing that we've been saying through the pandemic is, look how easily we're reacting to all these problems and finding situations because there's no other option. We need to. We need to work remotely. We needed to uh, get all these virtual events going. We needed to do all this stuff. And uh, kind of like people with disabilities were rolling our eyes saying, yeah, and where was it when we needed it? And it's the same thing here, that's right? the
1: same with jobs, right? We, we, it's the same thing the with People everything. with disabilities who have been here all their life are secondary to people who come right. maybe from somewhere else because we say, oh, we can't have people complaining that we're bringing too many people in from other countries. They have to come in and work. But meanwhile, there is a whole flock of disabled people saying, my hand's up for a job. You know, yeah. can, can, can I get some training? Can I get a job? And to going work. back to, yeah.
2: to our elderly population, it's the same thing. We knew, we knew that our elderly population was growing and growing and growing. And where were we gonna get the support? And now all of a sudden, oh my goodness, there's not enough. We need to ship them off into all these different communities that you're not uh, you know, that don't suit you or your families. And now we're going to have all these secondary problems. Well, And, and look,
1: it. there are going to be certain people, economically challenged people, maybe who yes. aren't from here, people Transportation. who have who are going to have, like, if you're a disabled person, you may not be able to go see your mother and support or help mm-hmm. her if they ship her 70 kilometers away unless you get up and move to that same town or and whatever.
2: And that $400 fee, they're going to just tack on. Where That's is right. that going to come Which from? Which is
1: meant for fear to, to get people just to say, well, no, mom, we got to send you there. Like, that's just the way it is. We can't afford that money. You're going. And this is the pitting people against each other because we, in our minds, the government has said, well, for years, we've allowed people to hold up the works and let this get out of hand. And now we're going to step down on it. And always yeah. when we step down on it, we go too far.
4: Yeah, and we know that isolation is not just loneliness. It's actually a major
1: It's a death card for a lot after. of people, isn't it's it, Grant? It's a death card. It- yeah.
4: can be the difference between someone who's cheerful and, and perky or, or someone who slips into, you know, symptoms of, of dementia is, you mm-hmm. know, not mm-hmm. having your family members around that's tricky enough. If you live sort of a few blocks away, let alone, yeah. uh you know, 70 kilometers away, which I don't even know how I'd be able to get uh down there to visit my family. So it's, you know, it's, it's scary stuff. It's I'm not it's incredibly one of those people depressing who says, and upsetting. Yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those people who tends to say kind of what's the world coming to you? But th- this is a situation where I go like, Wow, I don't know if I'd want to be uh there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and you would like to see what are your government supports because you have to have when you laid this out, saw the drawbacks for so many people and basically what message you're sending to our to our society. Excellent grant. Good choice. Mm, it's,
4: yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's see, we got a couple more minutes here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Canada, uh, this is from the Globe and Mail. Uh, Canada to make Arrive Can app optional and drop uh, vaccine requirements for the border. This is a little lighter, uh, but the federal government plans to drop the COVID-19 vaccination requirement for people who enter Canada by the end of September, the same day it ends random testing of arrivals and makes optional the Arrive Can app. The mask requirement for people on planes and trains will remain. The aviation and travel industries have been pushing for this move uh, for a long time. Uh, it's worth noting that Canada's rules were pretty much in line with other countries at the start of the pandemic. They have stuck around a little longer, though, but the U.S. is still keeping vaccine requirements in the place. Again, It's interesting. I'm not one of these people who says, oh, our government's response to COVID has been so terrible. But one interesting challenge for us, the community, is this Arrive Can app because Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it is not accessible. And, you know, I (laughs) actually haven't traveled internationally since the border uh, COVID, but I downloaded this app and it looked fine. I'm like, what are people talking about? The images are all labeled. Everything's great. And then you get to one crucial screen. I forget if it's maybe, I don't know what it is. Is it the submit screen
1: or, or something like that, Grant? It's
4: something actually pretty near the beginning. Okay. And all of a sudden, like, you can't click on something. And then I go, oh, yeah. it's They, they know to design it accessibly because they've labeled the images. But they obviously never had someone actually test it out for accessibility. And the worst
1: thing, Grant, is I believe you guys brought this forward too, uh, maybe through ATW. I'm not sure, but I recall a discussion that the government has known about this for two years, or or, or since the beginning of the app.
4: Absolutely. And I think from my understanding, the idea is that something like this happens, you uh, uh, contract someone to uh, build the app, And then if there's a problem, it's harder just to go back and say, like, oh, you know, let's tweak this because it's not really in-house. You'd have to sign another contract, whatever. Is that an excuse? Absolutely not. And that's not what I'm saying. But I think that's the excuse that they're kind of going with. Uh, It kind of couples with the COVID-19 alert app that I find pretty interesting, too, because that app, spent millions of dollars developing and marketing that app and in the end it really
1: hasn't been used yeah. at all to no, i forget i have it once in a while suddenly oh oh yeah it's checking for <laughs> grant thanks a lot man uh we've got to run all right great stuff we'll good, talk to you friday
4: take care guys
1: reporter grant hardy joining us talking health news here on kelly and company up next from our communications and marketing department greg david to talk tv Thanks for being with us. It's the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Company, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. Wherever you're listening in, we appreciate you being with us. Hey, remember, you can sit there at your computer and you can go to AMI.ca and stream the program if that's easier for you while you're getting your work done or look for OOTunes or the TuneIn Radio app. Awesome apps in which to put on your smart device so you can take us with you if you have to run out during the show. TuneIn Radio, OOTunes or over there at AMI.ca. Awesome ways to take in Kelly and Company, and all the programming over here at AMI-audio. As mentioned, co-host Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald here, and it's time to get into our TV chat with Greg David.
0: I'm Greg David, and I love television. Reality shows, dramas, sitcoms, and documentaries, I watch them all. I'm excited to share my passion for the television industry with you in front of and behind the cameras as it changes and
1: evolves. Communication specialist over here at ami During Greg's last appearance on the program, we chatted about the Canadian TV shows debuting and returning during the month of September. He's back today to show some loves to the uh, networks to the south of us. Hey, Greg, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So you got a lot of stuff here and we're very excited for your comments on this stuff. So let's dive right in. Uh, Let's kick it off with Abbott Elementary, a big winner at the Primetime Emmy Awards last Monday.
0: Yeah, this was really exciting. You know, um, there continue to be mostly streaming services that are up for awards now. And ABC's Abbott Elementary was one of very few conventional network television shows that was that were up for awards. And they end up uh, taking home two of them. Uh, creator Quinta Brunson won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series. And Abbott Elementary is uh, a mockumentary sitcom for ABC, kind of like, uh, you know, in the same vein as The Office or Parks and Rec, uh, mm-hmm. Parks and Recreation, where they, you know, the they look right into the camera. It's, you know, that, that documentary style that was made famous by the British office. And uh, it's all about a group of dedicated, passionate teachers at an underfunded public elementary school in Philadelphia. And I wanted to make mention of it today. This is perfect timing because season two of Abbott Elementary kicks off tonight on ABC, also available on Global, but the American Network is ABC. And if you haven't seen the first season, it's available on Netflix right now. And I wanted to mention it just because not only is it back and it's won awards, but it's just so well written and thoughtful and laugh-out-loud funny, it really puts the challenge of the teacher into, uh, into the spotlight. Uh, but aside from the writing that uh, Ms. Brunson won an Emmy for, the performances are fantastic as well. Co-star Cheryl Lee Ralph won an Emmy for Best Comedy, uh, Supporting Actress in a Comedy, uh, last Monday. And I just wanted to ask, because Ramya, sitcoms are kind of your jam, so have you seen Abbott Elementary before?
2: I haven't seen Avid Elementary before, but I'm loving this mockumentary uh, type. um, Genre, yeah. Taping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Huge fan of The Office, Parks and Rec. Does Modern Family really go into this? Like, it's sort of. Yeah,
0: it does. Yeah, it it isn't the classic. It's kind of a hybrid of a conventional sitcom and the mockumentary. Because you're right, they are speaking into the camera. So I think that's fair. They
2: got the interview style thing going. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I think that there's a lot of room to play right with these things so do you find it like a typical um version of this kind of stuff the scenarios and everything or is there a twist to it or is it just the writing that's hilarious
0: it's, it's a little bit of like it's obviously the performances that I get really excited about but the writing is really really smart um, mm. you know and I guess I guess you have to be when you're doing a mockumentary style show because it needs to be funny but it also needs to be believable if it's traditional if it's a traditional sitcom like I don't know everybody loves Raymond which is maybe a bad example because it, it, that show is very well it's written funny. <laughs> yeah you could yeah it's funny unlike some of them it's actually funny so I think sometimes if you're if it's you know if the, if the writing is a little bit lazy on a conventional sitcom that it's not funny and not enjoyable. But everybody's been raving about Abbott Elementary even before it took home two primetime Emmys.
2: Nice. Okay, well, that's very exciting. I will definitely check it out because this is my jam. You know, between all the serious stuff, I always uh, hit up something like this. So we've talked about the classic TV series Quantum Leap um, being remade by NBC Mm -hmm. for a new audience, and you're calling this a must-see show of the fall. Why is that?
0: I know very very bold isn't it uh the well the it's original child who
1: Lee- most of his favorite tv shows were all 80s that's why
0: <laughs> yeah exactly it was well- yeah, okay, well, the original Quantum Leap starred Scott Bakula as a character named Sam Beckett, and he was a guy who was leaping throughout history, fixing things that had gone wrong, so if he messed up something in one time period, he had to go and fix it in another one, and that always happened throughout the the run of the of the show. Um, this new Quantum Leap picks up 30 years after Sam stepped into the accelerator and vanished, uh, and a team has been assembled to kind of restart the project and hopefully figure out why it, why it does what it does. And in this version, the team is led by a physicist named Ben Song, and the actor's name is Raymond Lee. And he sneaks, he leaves his team scrambling when he sneaks in and does an unauthorized leap into the past. And it's all about the team trying to get him back. So there's someone at the, the base trying to figure out why he went where he did, and Ernie Hudson from the Ghostbusters films, he stars in Quantum Leap as well, and he's kind of the lead on that team. And meanwhile, Ben is flipping around from from time period to time period on these different adventures. This was the most anticipated series of the fall, and it really, really delivers. If you missed the first episode, which was on Monday night, it's okay because NBC, NBC is going to be replaying it a couple more times before the new episode that's coming up um, this coming Monday. But Raymond Lee is funny, and you can't help but cheer him on. He's also an Asian-American actor, which, again, fantastic, because NBC is showing some diversity. Uh, you know, let's do it. Let's do more of that in primetime. And uh, like I said, Ernie Hudson from the Ghostbusters films also stars in this, airs Mondays on NBC. Just a great, great show, If you're especially if you're a fan of time travel and sci-fi in general. But it's just well-acted, well-performed formed and again really tightly written
1: do you feel greg as a fan of of both uh this one and uh, as the reboot and the original do you feel uh that connection so much to the real the the original that it it makes it nice for you just 30 years later boom fall in and and that stuff that you loved so much about the original is there
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, the the DNA from the original show is there. So if you're a fan... I don't mean an
1: identical twin, of course. Yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, we've got to keep everything. But if you're an original fan, it's the same kind of recipe involved.
0: Yeah, it does feel that way, even though the first episode of a new show is always difficult because sure. you're trying to build that world and, and introduce all those characters in 44 minutes. So as a fan of the original, it was easy for me to jump in. I also you know though, think that if you're brand new to this and don't even know that there was an original series, uh, then I think that you're definitely okay to tune in and, and check this version out. You won't, you won't know. They do may re- reference to the old one, but it, it's fine. You you can jump in with both feet and understand what's going on on this show too.
1: I can tell you something. Um, With audio description, don't know how much, if it's one of the shows I'm assuming it falls under, Yeah, that'll have it. Uh, Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about that, I mean, the original, you just kept imagining where, when he would time shift, jump somewhere else, the sets, the settings, the environments would have been wonderful to get that description, that picture of wherever he might've been in time. Uh, I'm sure that'll be beautiful with this too.
0: Yeah, I, and that you bring up a very, very good point, Kelly. Uh, yes, and these these shows that I'm talking about today all have described video. So whatever network or you're watching them on, all of the new ones do now. It's those back cat, back catalogs that don't necessarily have a described video or audio description, as they call it in the U.S. But thankfully, all the networks are doing it now.
1: Okay. Uh, You've spoken about CSI Vegas, uh, the CSI spinoff series in the past. You were excited to watch it last year because original Mm -hmm. stars William Peterson and Georgia Fox were going to appear in it. They are not part of season two. Why are you suggesting, Greg, stick with it?
0: Another another original CSI star is showing up on CSI Vegas. Uh, this time it's Marg Helgenberger who played Catherine Willows. Uh, she joins the team in the first episode of the show, uh, which kicks off on the. Uh, it's going to be the 26th of September on CBS, uh, and she's joining the team to investigate the murder of a dominatrix who's found dead near her sex uh, her secret sex dungeon. And that's not just the reason to turn out, you know, just because I said sex dungeon isn't the reason why <laughs> to tune in, but it is definitely Mark Helgenberger who was so great in the original. Last year I had a hard time warming up to the cast of the of the you know, the new cast of this show. Mm-hmm. So- Um, But I really do like them, especially the characters of Josh and Allie, who are played by Matt Loria and Mandeep Dillon. They just have a great chemistry and there's a real will they or won't they get together vibe in that that was established by the end of the of the first season. What I want to see, though, in the second season of CSI Vegas, as much as I love seeing the old stars drop by to kind of boost the morale and, you know, get people to tune in. I want the show to really establish itself in season two and not rely on those former cast members to help attract the viewers. And I think that they can do that now that they know who these characters are and they've been established in the first season. Now let's grow these characters in the second season around these crimes that are happening in Las Vegas.
2: Yeah. Well, isn't it interesting because we talk a lot about character, right? Character development, character building. A lot of people stick around for the characters. Uh, I'm trying to think, Oh, like Grey's anatomy, you know, 11, whatever plus seasons of just, characters right but then if you're caught up on the cast and having to keep um tabs on that or you know you're wishing that people come back and uh, you know fill in the blank here for mm-hmm. cast stuff it takes away from other incredible parts of why the show continues right you, i at least I, don't I think, think, think you so. can, it, can ever build it
1: i don't think you can ever build or be sure what you've built is there on its feet on its own without well these you're devices. always going to start
2: from scratch yeah if people are just well, in love with cast it, it yeah. takes away from character and plot
1: Well, and if you need to rely on them, it really hurts a show because that's, then you're not bringing your new show, you're not giving it the chance to flourish and people to love the characters that are, you're never sure, Greg.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that's really tough about a show, especially a program like CSI, is that the show is built around murders and crime-solving. And so where do you juggle, when you have 44 minutes of time, how do you juggle the crime with those personal stories and establish those characters so that you actually care what's happening to them? I Mm -hmm. think that that's the toughest thing to do with a procedural drama is to get that balance because on a sitcom, it's almost always just about those characters. That's right. And the, the main and the main thread of the storyline it really doesn't matter it's about the relationship and in a procedural drama cop drama firefighters whatever the big story is that crime or that big event that happens and everything else is kind of on top of that and yes. yeah. it's it's tough to get that juggle the you know to get that
1: formula right well and it mm-hmm. frustrates you because you get yep. anxious get off this other nonsense get back to the actual yep. story at hand it's a total well, opposite exactly.
2: I was going to yep. say, as much as you love the the murders, or don't love them, but it, you know the underlying plot is what kind of keeps the whole thing gelled together. Right. Uh, really quickly, moving forward, Fox's 911 deals with dramatic stories, speaking of which, uh, mm-hmm. encountered by first responders in and around Los Angeles, and it's been on for several years. Why should people tune in now?
0: You know what? You can tune in anytime. You can go back and watch past seasons on on Netflix. This is blockbuster popcorn TV. This is like big explosions, uh, mm-hmm. big stories. The usual storylines that you see at the movies are being put on this Fox drama. And uh, the first responders are constantly put into situations that you almost have to laugh about, except that they're actually saving lives. So they are heroes. Last week's season return, there was a blimp that crashed into a sports stadium uh, in past wow. seasons, they're based out of L.A., so they've had to deal with it with earthquakes. And next Monday's episode, a building collapses on members attending a convention. So these are huge storylines with a lot of special effects involved. Um, and aside, though, from those big, big stories are their performances by the cast. You've got big names like Angela Bassett. Uh, Peter Kraza, who was last seen, I think most people will remember him from Six Feet Under, Aisha Hines, Jennifer Love Hewitt, yes, that Jennifer Love Hewitt, and a great actor named Rockman Dunbar, who was on Prison Break Break years and years ago. They're all very, very good. And so, you know, on top of the characters, there are these big, big storylines that you would enjoy if you just want to, you know, take your brain out for an hour, watch 911 on Fox.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Real endorsement of it. What a way to put it, too. Take your brain out just for a yep. little while, and away you go. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Greg David, of course, joins us every couple of weeks here on the program to talk TV every other Wednesday. All things television he covers right here on Kelly & Company. Up next, Ryan Delahanty is going to fill us in on a long-awaited accessible transportation service in uh, in Halifax. They've all been standing by for this, and we heard a little bit about it yesterday from Paul Daniel. Uh, This is Extra Care Taxi. Stick around. Do me a favor. When you have some time, throughout Canada, folks, you can listen to AMI-audio right from your TV. Compton subscribers, Channel 88, and Eastlink customers, you guys can find us on Channel 887. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan.
2: And let's get into one of our regional content reports. Today, we're checking in with Ryan Delahante, our content development specialist for AMI in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Lots of stuff to discuss today, Ryan. We're going to start with the launch event that's happening uh, next month for a long-awaited service in Halifax. It's called Extra Care Taxi. So what's the story here?
5: So this is something that has been uh, much desired over the last decade or so. There's been a lot of effort to see this launch in some fashion or another. And it was sort of uh, quietly introduced over the last month or so, but um, the city, Halifax Regional Municipality, has now announced that they'll be holding a special event to formally welcome the new accessible taxi service, Extra Care Taxi. So sort of the grand opening launch event will be on Tuesday, October 11th from 1 to 2 p.m. at Halifax Hall, just outside, uh, just in City Hall, 1841 Argyle Street, where members of the public are invited to come and learn more about the service, and they'll be able to also view the accessible taxis at that event, so you can really get a hands-on and check it all out. And uh, this has been such a long-standing issue for people in Halifax, Um, especially, you know, both residents and visitors to the city were unable to find accessible, spontaneous travel options, and the existing taxi companies had dabbled in offering accessible vehicles, uh, but that the supply quickly dwindled as they found that the high cost of providing the service was prohibitive, and Uh, They were doing it at a loss. Uh, They are for profit business. And so we'd seen 70 taxis on the road that were accessible maybe a bit over a decade ago. And then before this was introduced, we were down to just a handful, maybe a half dozen that might be active. And so to remedy that situation back in March, City Council unanimously approved a three-year contract to Extra Care Taxi, where passengers pay the standard taxi rate for their trips. Uh, So you don't have to absorb those extra costs. It is the same rate as any other taxi for people that need the accessible vehicle. And the city itself will provide funding to subsidize those extra costs and to uh, bring down the cost for the operator. And so many people were thrilled when uh, Seniors Transit, the uh, existing service, uh, quietly introduced this new wing of their offerings, uh, accessible taxi services, just a couple months ago.
2: Great. So action was necessary and action was taken. Uh, I'm curious about the response because it it is kind of a... um, You know, a service, like you said, everybody's been waiting for, but the way in which it was put out into the community, how are the early reviews going?
5: Uh, quite positive so far. Uh, I've seen a lot of people commenting on the post, sharing their experiences. Everybody's had rave reviews about uh, the transportation aspect of it. Uh, our friend Vicky Levac was uh, doing a uh, one-woman performance at the Fringe Festival a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was there. She started taking audience questions at the end, and uh, I was like, well, how's Extra Care Taxi so far? Have you heard <laughs> much? Uh, she's in the loop. I knew she would have the inside scoop and she'd actually used it that night to get to her fringe fest performance when the excessive bus that she had booked well in advance fell through and she was able to swap in a ride with extra care quite quickly and make it to the venue on time uh to rave reviews of course uh so it's been great to see the service get such glowing reviews although i have seen numerous people mention they're not too fond of the name extra care taxi and would probably welcome a rebranding
2: okay I uh, can agree with that. I mean, it, it's interesting because we keep talking and keep pushing the inclusivity forward. But then sometimes you just look at a name of a service and you go, huh, I still feel like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb here. Uh, but I love how you, you know, um, uh, weasled your way in there for that question after <laughs> the <laughs> performance. So tell us about how it works, Ryan, how people in Halifax can learn more.
5: So, Extra Care Taxi is currently operating eight accessible vehicles and is available to residents who may require this service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Two more vehicles are planned to be added to the fleet in the coming weeks. Uh, You can make bookings by phone, numbers 902-334-0334, and online through the Extra Care Taxi web booker page or the free Extra Care Taxi app. Also seeing really positive reviews of the app. And with that app, you can book a taxi in under 10 seconds, uh, experience exclusive priority service from Extra Care Taxi, and some really nice sort of uh, quality of life features that you can log in and book with a business account, automate expenses, so you can separate personal from business travel if you wanna get reimbursed, uh, a price estimator, you know what you're in for, driver and vehicle details, you can track your arrival on the map and schedule future trips in advance as well. And so for more information on the Accessible Taxi services, uh, the uh, city's website, halifax.ca slash Accessible Taxi, will bring you the details. And of course, uh, you're welcome to join that launch event at City Hall on October 11th and really check them out in person.
1: Wow, congratulations to them. That'll be, I think the launch event is such a wonderful thing and uh, that sounds like, some tremendous response. Uh, people are going to hopefully have a, a whole different world uh, of of accessible travel for them to be able to get out and get around. Uh, let's move into your second item, sir. Um, let's talk about this call for participants from the from March of Dimes Canada. Uh, what is this photo voice project, and who they're looking for? Right. So with this March
5: of Dimes, Canada is inviting youth with disabilities between 16 and 25 years old and guardians or parents of infants and toddlers with disabilities, the children being between zero and four, to join them in a photo voice project about what it means to grow up in Canada with a disability. So in a photo voice project, a group of people passionate about change come together to work on an issue that is important to them. Participants take pictures to reflect on their strengths and the barriers they face. The group then talks about the photos and finds the patterns in them together. Uh, the group then will present their photos and ideas to decision makers to hopefully bring about the changes they want to see in the community. And they want to identify with this project factors that young people growing up with disabilities need to thrive in school, in the community, and in March of Dime Canada's programming and services. They'll work alongside youth and their caregivers to identify the struggles, priorities, needs, and dreams of young people with disabilities. And uh, they'd love anybody interested in taking part or Learning more to contact the local organizer Haley uh, by emailing H Crooks, so H C R O O K S at marchofdimes.ca.
1: Wow, I love this because we're looking into the younger people getting. The, the really serious things that are on their minds, the things that we should know ahead of time to help, because you feel such a disparity in, does anyone really understand me? And I know some people say, well, as a teenager, everybody feels that way. Does anyone understand <laughs> me? But, you know, we all recognize the importance of understanding anyone at any given time. But I know I recall some of the holes of feeling like, yeah, but nobody understands what I need to get ready for college. No one understands what I needed to do here in grade 10 to to survive in this big school, whatever it might be, or my outside relationship with people that I'm struggling with, making friends, finding that way. There's so many things that already start you for the future, Ryan. So this is beautiful.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that uh, that group setting where a lot of times it is more comfortable to kind of have that team effort and bring things to each other before you're kind of bringing it to the greater group or presenting it to, you know, the government officials or whoever may be in attendance. And so sometimes I find, uh, you know, you kind of form friendships, relationships, and, uh, you know, people might be more inclined to participate than they would if they had to kind of shout it out to the whole room. Mm. Uh, So it's a really nice approach there as well. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, group projects, right? Just kind of getting people on the same page uh, amongst yourselves before presenting it out there. You're right. It does make a big difference on the way that you feel, uh, connecting with your intentions, and just knowing that other people have your back.
1: Yeah, So and being able to talk to people. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, one more thing to highlight on our uh, report today, we wanted to talk about a cool program looking to make Picta County and surrounding areas more accessible before, uh, or more accessible. And before we talk about Nova Rampa, tell us about the organization behind it, Ray.
5: This is a program from the John Howard Society of Nova Scotia, which is a nonprofit charity who offers support, compassion, and practical help to all people, regardless of background. Uh, a lot of the work they do is within correctional facilities to deliver programs that support incarcerated people to cope with their reality today and to plan for their release when that does come. And uh, it includes uh, parenting, relationships, life skills programs for men in correctional facilities in the province. Uh, and uh, it's one of their specific sort of employment programs that we're featuring today is the Nova Ramp-Up program, which was born out of their desire to increase access to businesses and community organizations in the Picto area by offering temporary access ramps for single-step storefronts. So uh, the ones that have the smaller, easily uh, solved you know accessibility barriers, uh, mm-hmm. but often those don't get solved unless you kind of find a program like this and uh, they do the outreach and make sure uh, that it happens. And so the vibrant colored ramps are constructed by their partners at the Northeast Nova Scotia correctional facility. And they take about uh, 30 days to build and deliver once they've got the order
2: in. Amazing. That's actually a pretty great turnaround too. And it's amazing how they, it feels like they have our back Um and it's really something that benefits a lot of people, especially the people involved in creating it. So how can people, business owners in the Pictou County area, connect with Nova Ramp-Up?
5: So, they're offering these uh, free ramps, and they're available nice. to eligible single step storefronts in Picto, River John, Tatamagush, and Antigonish for a limited time. Uh, their goal is to give 50 eligible storefronts the opportunity to install these free temporary access ramps. So, uh, get in quickly if you are eligible. And their ramp ambassador, Ken, uh, will help with the request. So he can either be called by phone at 902-754-1566, or for more information, you can visit their website, which is www.jhsns.ca slash NovaRampUp.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate all the information you shared with us today. Very exciting stuff.
5: Oh, well, thank you. We'll talk
1: soon.
2: Yes, we will. Ryan Delahunty joins us every other Wednesday, in fact, to chat with us and give us updates on everything going on uh, in and around Nova Scotia.
1: Some amazing coverage there by Ryan, and uh, good luck to so many of the projects. Sounds so fascinating. We have another hour ahead of Kelly and Company, ladies and gentlemen, and in that hour, Ramya has a great article to share with us, and we'll get into a discussion about it. Also, Mary Mammalidi continues with safe cooking technique for the uh, low vision or blind home cook. But up next, it's the Wednesday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton right here on Kelly and Company. Stick around, talk to you in two minutes. minutes barely gives you time to go anywhere folks so if you sit here at home saying hey, I, I bet they're running in and out to go get something come back and a drink of water or, or whatever no no there's not enough time you do that then you're coming back and then you're laughing at us for <sighs> welcome back to Kelly and Company <laughs> appreciate you being with us for the this is this third hour? Second hour. It just feels like a third hour. Ramya Muthan over there. Kelly McDonald here at the home studios in uh, London, Ontario, and in Toronto. And we welcome in from his home, Bill Shackleton. We uh, have him here for the first time this week. He's with us Wednesday through Friday on the program The kick off the second hour. Billy, welcome.
6: Yeah, you know what? We don't want the listeners to um, lose their breath. So do stick around, especially now.
1: Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I love how this guy fishes it up. We'll talk about PR. He handles it himself. Yeah, mm. folks, just take it easy. Rest. And while you're here, just stay. Yeah. Listen. That's right. It's the shack Yeah, time.
2: That's great. It's live promoting. We love that.
1: Well, it's almost like he's suggesting, you know, cuddle back up with a nice book and relax. It's the right day for it. Here, there's some rain. Maybe you've got sun or rain. Doesn't matter. Settle back and listen to a shack article. Mm-hmm. So where are we starting?
6: We're going to do this one first. Uh, basically better off record spending on California gambling um, questioned. So essentially, there's a new law that is winding its way, well, from Associated Press. There's a new law that is winding its way through the California state government. It's basically, um, if, it, if, if it passes, there are basically, it would allow um, gambling um, in the state. Now they already have gambling at horse racing and, uh, tracks and casinos, but there's basically two proposals. Proposal 27 is backed by DraftKings and NGM. Mm-hmm. Uh, another proposal um, is basically would which well would allow the state to change the law so that people could gamble under smartphones and you know computers. Mm. Um the other proposal would be you could only gamble on casinos at casinos and Indian reserves, and when you look at these two proposals the they've spent both players have spent millions and millions of dollars on advertising but you know what they are saying they're 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 hiding they're they're saying they're they're disguising um these proposals. So they're saying, well, there's going to be benefits for housing, there's going to be benefits for low for for poor communities, but nobody is talking about the human factor, and nobody is talking about the number of people that might be affected. And my concern is that when it comes to gambling, who wins? I mean, the only people that win is the house. So these players. Mm these players are going to get tons of money and the little guy who is going to, who might get, um, you know, addicted to it. I mean, who's going to win? I mean, there's going to be money for these, you know, for housing and things like this, but that's going to be a small percentage of the money that these people are going to get. And I just think that it's not, these people should be maybe told the truth of if they don't already know, as to how this is going to really work. Because you wonder how many people in California know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Vote no.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of PR, right, Billy? Like the yeah. way that oh, yeah. they kind of, ah man, write and talk their way into this is by bringing up every kind of financial challenge that you might have if you're not making yeah. noodles and noodles of money and then, uh, saying, yeah, and this could help all of that. No, it yeah. really can't. It, yeah. I, I mean, and I might be coming from such an ignorant bias perspective here, but I just think that gambling is not helpful. It's not helpful in anything but maybe socializing. Um, and people end up with all kinds of challenges and addictions and issues, long-term debt and sp- blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that this is even a project kind of concerns me.
6: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, when I'm watching the NFL, even here, there's gambling here. You can gamble on your phones. And it's like, I don't know why they're advertising it at all.
2: Well, that's the part that concerns me too. Why is this an ad-based request? Why is it you know so big? Like they want people to partner up or states... To partner up as a government? I don't know. But organizations, giant organizations backing this thing up which who obviously are doing nothing but profiting from this, right? If this yeah. move forward, it's all we're really expecting is that they're going to profit, which is why it's ad-based. But it's very, very concerning.
1: It is. How are you feeling, Billy, right now with DraftKings, with everything you're seeing now in the world of sports here in a country that is new to this betting and, and stuff like that? Whether, you know, I, I mean... I know a lot of time we concern ourselves with yeah but this is still it's betting it's gambling it's an, it's an addiction a potential um I, I think some people are very good at being able just to say hey man no I lost or I'm you know no, I do it once in a while and that's if you're just social Yeah uh, do, the thing is this is it? this
2: thing is sorry j- just to cut in for a second here uh, this thing is saying that they're addressing gambling addiction by funding up to 10 percent of their profits into these cares well if you know that there's a problem then why are we doing this
6: yeah my 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 thing is that they're not addressing the root of it right they're they're no no
2: they're saying oh yeah we understand this one of the side effects can be addiction so therefore we'll put some money into that so
1: i i would think it's the illegal gambling they want to make sure it's crushed out of that they know people are going to gamble and they know that people generally are going to do it illegally in, mm. in a lot of the places. If you have it legalized and you have money that, okay, if you're going to run a betting parlor in any form or whatever it might be, that money, a portion of those, that, with companies involved, we can afford to make sure that goes back into helping people who who go too far and have the addiction. And that is a sickness. It does deserve the medical attention that... that um, that Support. any yeah any mm-hmm. sickness w- would be. So I think that that's where if you involve these if you make it so big and the money is put back into it for those who truly need it. And I know we can say, well you shouldn't be gambling or, or yeah, man there's nothing wrong with it. Or oh, come on, if someone's that ridiculous, they shouldn't be doing it. They should know. Well, a lot of time we don't know. You know, I don't care if it's getting addicted to coke or getting addicted to, and I don't mean cane, I mean soda coke, um, or or if it's gambling. Like, a hey, You know, I I think you look at it, it's going to be done regardless. So you might as well find a way to turn the money, some of the money, some of the winning, some of the money gathered into a way of supporting and helping. And I think that's where we have to look at it, whether you hate the idea of gambling or you love it. The one thing we all should love is helping people heal who may get themselves into trouble.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's the only thing I I can think of. So I guess there's pros and cons to it. I mean, I, I'm and it, it depending on whose side you're on, and depending on how you look at it.
1: I well, guess. and unfortunately, well, I don't want to say unfortunate. I almost said something very bad. Unfortunately, we have the rights, folks. We do have the right in our countries legally now to 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 gamble, to make wages or wagers on on different things. So again, Billy, just like having a car, if you're going to run around in a car, or if you're going to play a sport like tackle football um you're gonna you could get hurt whether it's yeah. someone it, so you yeah. have to have the supports and financial means to say oh okay well billy playing football you know going out and having fun with the gang the guys yeah. having a few pints and boom well let's help him out with the hospital fees
2: yeah it's uh, only hmm. the the part that it bothers me is who's gonna profit from this at the end of the day well of course out of yeah. everything that we're tackling as you mentioned, Kels, which is really important to think about as well, that side of it, getting illegal gambling off the streets. But at the end of the day, who's profiting from all this? Which is well, very, all these uh,
1: companies, all these businesses, the teams, everybody, mm-hmm. the winners, the people. going. There are a lot of people, the casinos that, that profit. And when you think Money's- about how much money, whether you're buying Lotto 649 or whatever it might be, that's a lot of dough. Where is it going? Charities, you hope are also included in whatever they roll out as, as um, if you're going to run gambling, this is what we want. We want some of that money going to charity. We want some of that money going to, and again, it's up to a charity um, or or you know some organizations will say, we don't want money that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it becomes interesting, and, and the moral issue I don't even want to tackle because every yeah. organization places entitled person to their moral issues, and if you're not comfortable, don't do it. Just yeah. don't do it, and don't encourage it that's right Billy you we got time for one more
6: yeah we do um, theater company unites for special anti-censorship podcasts so there's a theater company that is basically going to put out a podcast um, and they believe that the play that that too many plays are being censored so they are promoting um, they basically feel that there are playwrights that are that are uh basically being snuffed out um because they deal with sexuality and and orientation and and this sort of thing and they want to promote these plays and the, you know when i read the article i'm thinking to myself um are we have we not moved on i thought under president biden we were would be more liberal about these things, but apparently there are you know whenever this civil rights thing comes up and people want to make it better and expand it it's be it get it gets squashed and it's like i i mean don't theater groups have the right to oh maybe they do maybe they don't, but I think i mean when it comes to schools and this sort of thing, they're afraid of the kids being uh you know may maybe orientated and or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, this stuff is just uh <clears throat> I feel that no matter who the, our leadership is and no matter how much exposure do we have to the we have to the rest of the world, etc. Uh I think that it's it, it's clear that this is just going to be an ongoing issue that we face. There's always going to be somebody or a group of people or someone in authority um who believes that censorship is still the answer. And so that's why it's a constant battle.
6: I guess um and I guess when it comes to theater, I thought it might be a bit more open. Um, and and the fact that you know you're not talking about radio advertising or TV advertising. How many people no. go to a theater? How much of an impact would these plays
2: have? I mean, they would yeah. though, because of yeah, the educational aspect, right? You know, how many times do our uh, did our teachers pick up a play? or a book or a play based on a book or a movie based on a play. Like all of these things have such ripple effects. And so if somebody decides, no, no, this content is not appropriate for this grade or this school or this district, um, that's it. That's all it takes. Mm. Then you're having this big conversation on censorship. Yeah.
6: Well, I guess it's part of a larger conversation too, is when it comes to books They we talked about books, we've talked about yeah. movies and now we're talking about theater, about
2: plays. <laughs> well, Ben, book day is one of our favorite days of the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's Ironically, interesting when you so. think about it. It's so so ironic. And you know what what we say. this is no longer great literature. This is no longer great play. This is yeah. you know, or, or and we can't even say great. It's uh, uh, acceptable, I guess. Appropriate, is what, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. acceptable, appropriate. Which gets tough. Talk to you tomorrow, Shaq. Talk to you tomorrow. He'll return with a few more things for us to talk about. We call the segment The Buzz. It's The Buzz with Bill Shackle, the producer over here at AMI. We'll return in a couple of moments. We've got some conversation with you. Rumi's got an article she's going to share with us, and we'll chat about it. Stand by. If you can't be with us live or during one of the repeats of the program, check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Just use your favorite podcast platform. Do a search for Kelly and Company, AMI, Audio, Accessible Media Inc., and you'll find us. You can uh, listen to the show in its full version, where we toss on the audio vanity card, today provided by Matt Agnew. Or you can also listen to the show in segment form. Yeah. You maybe have a a favorite contributor or caught a segment halfway through and said, gee, I love what that guest is talking about, but I want to hear more. You can go back and check it out through the podcast feed. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform to the Kelly and Company podcast through AMI Audio. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the show. Ramya, uh, kicking around some different articles as we have to do with our work and finding things to talk about. Uh, And today we've got an open segment. Let's let's settle in with the item that you want to kind of bring to our attention.
2: This is an interesting one. So we've talked about Airbnb, you know, quite a few times. We've been keeping tabs on how people are feeling, choosing Airbnb versus hotels, for example. But this one's interesting because it's giving us the perspective of hosts and how they... Uh, according to this, the title of this article, are sick of Airbnb. So this is from the Associated Press. And I'll give you a little bit of an introduction um, as to what this article talks about. So disgruntled Airbnb guests are taking to Instagram and TikTok to vent about everything from cleaning fees to misleading um, uh, listings. But they aren't the only ones with complaints. Airbnb hosts themselves have become increasingly disillusioned with the platform and its disrespectful guests Uh uh-oh sounds like a bit of a war here so on message boards and facebook groups hosts are sharing their own challenges and horror stories we're going to share a couple today and one host claimed that a group of guests was actually unwilling to leave the property despite receiving a full refund from Airbnb. So this sounds like madness to me. So they were saying on this post, I went to the apartment to check on what was going on, and I was in shock to discover that the tenants were still in the apartment. The host wrote on this website called Airbnb hell. (laughs) So there's dedication to uh, discovering these issues. They immediately called the police on me, she continues to say, and I was kicked out of my own apartment by a team of the police. A complete Shock. So, Kels, this just um, highlights one of the kinds of challenges that hosts are having. Let's move to why this is an issue. These examples are speaking to a larger trend impacting hosts. So, a 2021 report from Bloomberg uh, details that Airbnb's secretive team crisis team, spends millions of dollars to cover up crimes and other publicity nightmares in its listings. And the platform recently launched something called anti-party technology. And this is an effort to defray hosts, um frustrations with large destructive gatherings. And these issues raise the question, is it Airbnb's fault? Is the Airbnb the problem? Or is it actually the guests? So Kels, you already know about uh, party, right? Partying at Airbnbs, you know that this is a big, big issue. Uh, Not to mention that we've heard all over the news for several years, parties going down at Airbnbs, illegal parties, um, people getting shot and other kind of violence and things going on. So there's, if you're a user of Airbnb, I am, I know that there's a lot of messaging within the app, within actual listings, not to throw parties, like, Star, 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 no parties allowed. Or star, 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 if you're throwing a party, there's an extra fee of $500 or whatever the case may be. So you're aware of this already, yes? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's interesting mm-hmm. when you say the $500 because obviously you listed some parties there that, uh, you know, $500, you give me $500, I still don't want you doing that kind of party <laughs> exactly. I'm not there. But I think a lot of people get this confused with the fact that, oh, well, it's graduation, so a bunch of the students are going to go and get hotel rooms, get a floor at a hotel and, and get drunk or whatever and think, yeah. oh, we can get crazy. It's not the same.
2: No, it's not the same. This is someone's home that they're yeah. renting to you. It really is not the same. So Airbnb... Um, They've got to face some of this accountability because they're the middle people that we go through. So let me um, paint a different picture for you, another one of these horror stories. Silly string and foul odors, it says. Uh, Odors. In May of this year, Airbnb launched a new air cover protection plan for guests and hosts, okay? It promises quick reimbursement for hosts and up to $1 million in damage protection. And while many hosts consider this policy generous, it still comes with plenty of gray areas. Emily is a digital marketing professional living in uh, Cleveland, and they she beha- began hosting and renting her house on Airbnb in August of 2021. And she says, hosting has been a pleasant and positive process profitable enterprise overall but a few guests have caused some major problems including a family that rented the house this june they left the house a mess there was human feces on our laundry gross they sprayed silly string all over the place and i don't care about silly string but can you pick it up it left stains oddly now that's one that we can digest for a second because I think that this is beyond disrespectful. Now, there's, of course, this rating sounds aspect. right? Yo, it sounds whatever. Uh, so we know on Airbnb, again, going back to my own experiences, you rate the hosts and the hosts rate you. It's vice versa. It's mutual. So you can give them five stars and they can give you five stars. You leave a public review, they leave a public review. So everything is impacted I would say, mutually as host or guest. Uh, The two Airbnbs that I stayed at recently, you know, you got to be careful what you do because if that host didn't like your performance or the way, the condition in which you left your house, um, I'd be a little nervous about that because I don't want future hosts to think, oh, no, I'm not going to rent to this person because it does happen. So... I'm um, very shocked that people would leave places in these conditions but, but those people
1: leaving them in and, and again maybe I'm being naive I, 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 but they're leaving it in that condition fully knowing I'm not going to either get another one I don't care and there's going to be some sucker out there that's going to let us do this again to somebody if you're doing that kind of destruction and, and regardless mm. behavior intentionally. You, you yeah. don't care about, well, yeah, give me a minus 12, whatever. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nice. You know, somebody will be dumb enough to rent their place to me in future. Uh, you, 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 this is the thing. This is just colossal behavior. And that's where the policies need to be able to say, oh that's fine. You know, whether we, we, hunt, you know, we hunt you down, you pay for the damage. You right. Know, but we pay first, cover it up, and chase you with our lawyer's to, to cover that right. up, that I think needs to be that. this is intentional. This isn't just, you know, you forgetting yourself or knocking something over because you're low vision and you go into a place. Yeah. What a beautiful, oh, I broke their priceless lamp.
2: Mm-hmm. Oops. Exactly. And see, going back to the finances of it all, uh, there are people who say they receive Airbnb reimbursements for most of their claims, but some damage such as nail polish smeared on the bathroom tile didn't qualify for reimbursement because they weren't able to provide the documentation of the price of the tile. Rolling my eyes here. And then there were or? smells. Yeah,
1: exactly. OK. Like, is it that or, well, it could have been the owners, you know, like, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. that's got yeah, like, to be fair. Yeah, you got to be fair, too, that sometimes they're going to be the owners that are going to let's see what we can get.
2: Right, exactly. And then, look, this person is also, the host, is claiming that it really, really stunk. The air condition has been, uh, had been left off for a week in June, and they're saying that they should have received some compensation for that. I don't know about all this. You see what I mean? Like That one, in,
1: uh, yeah, that one particularly, and that's where the nail polish falls into. You don't know that it's not their own. And, you don't know it's hey, not yours. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Damage is one thing, but then there's trying to, you know— um, Smart the system, right? Outsmart yeah, the system. That's
1: like holding a BO against the people who use it, right? Like, it's, <laughs> we you know, your you, house, you don't know, you can't sit there. Did you guys shower at all when you're here? You, you can't control yes. that kind of stuff.
2: Yes. But then there's this other aspect of hosting on Airbnb, Kels, and they're saying red tape everywhere because there's the movement of massive hosts. So hosts who have tons of Airbnb, they've got this down pack, They've got management uh, taking over the actual organization, the coordination and all of this. But then there's people who are like, hey, I just want to rent my house so I can make a little bit of money, right? That's huge difference in hosting. So the early days of short term vacation rentals offered um, hosts a simple proposition of renting your home and earning some extra money. And now, because the industry has matured, it's been met with regulation efforts from local governments. Cities have been cracking down on unlicensed short-term rentals and levying fines against the hosts and rentals and requiring expensive permits, etc. These policies are allowing local governments to collect taxes and regulate problematic behavior, but it adds one more layer of complexity for the hosts. Many of these hosts... Uh, have little experience in hospitality. So, furthermore, they say, uh, many local local governments place the burden of tax collection on the hosts themselves and not mm-hmm. on the Airbnb team. This is a problem. So now they're saying hosts must not only act as full-time customer service agents and hospitality experts, but also the navigation of um, local regulations and master-convoluted taxation laws. I do think that this is a huge part that we don't give hosts enough credit for. It's easy to going back to my review scenario. It's easy to say, "Oh, this host was oh, just atrocious. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe the way they communicated to me so curt. Zero stars." But you know what? It's different. It's different when you're a host and you have to navigate all these different things and I wasn't aware myself of a lot of the stuff that I just pointed out. So, I I feel for them.
1: Who's a damaging review? Hurting more. Host or you as the user?
2: Definitely the host. Yeah, uh, You as the user can be denied um, if the host looks into your stuff, That's but definitely it, yeah. the host getting the damage. Exactly. So they've got to get five stars on all accounts, not just the hosting, but the yeah. hospitality, the taxing, the, the making money part. They've got to win on all accounts in order to make this work for themselves.
1: And to be able to get the next customer.
2: Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One last little piece that we can discuss is the romantic notion of home sharing as a means for homeowners to pay their mortgages has given way to manage management companies inserting themselves and aiming to maximize profits here. So there's one more player in this game, and that's the management company. So small time hosts can't keep up with these corporate uh, competitors. Data from the non Inside Airbnb suggests that only 39% of properties in Los Angeles, as the example, are managed by single property hosts. So everyone else is mega hosts. Right. Mega hosts are operating at scale, maximizing efficiency on everything from pricing adjustments to cleaning staff. But single property hosts can't keep up or are unwilling, like I would be, to deal with the hassle and are um, being elbowed out of the ecosystem. Yeah. So again, you're seeing all ends of the spectrum here.
1: And I don't know what, if you're a small, like an individual, how often do you need your space used? How many days a year mm. to make it worth your while?
2: Well, with the fees that you're paying and the tax uh, that you got to pay and all of the other things going on, the renovation, some of these Airbnbs you stay at, they've been renovated to the T, kills. Yeah. Because if you're not renovating and giving people a gorgeous place to stay at, then no one's going to stay at your place.
1: No, especially the cleanly part. You can, you know that you want something nice, but you also want to walk in and not, especially in this time coming out of a pandemic, feel that somebody was just there brushing their teeth and spitting in that sink. Oh, absolutely like, you not. Just, you need to be able to see your reflection or whatever it is. It's got to be really tough. I can't imagine, especially as this... When this started out, it was more, hey, Rumya, why don't you utilize your place? Let somebody stay there. Mm. Now it's become, like you said, so corporate that that's, yep. hey, what a way you're to make money. You're competing with the hotels. Yeah.
2: That's and what you're doing.
1: to do it, you need to have the spaces. You need to have the care and the means to do that. And the only way to do it is make it big enough. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Folks, we still have another half hour of the program to go. It's time to bring Mary Mammalidi on. She's going to be continuing her safe cooking techniques for the blind or low vision home cook. Plus, she has a recipe for easy kettle corn. That conversation just coming up here on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to the program. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Glad to have you up on board with us, Yamuth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show, and you riding along out there as the, with us as the company. Well, we always, Rum, on the program love to talk about food, and every couple of weeks we get that chance to do that. And we started a couple of weeks with a really great conversation. We'll pick it up as we welcome in Mary Mamalidi.
3: If you're like me, the kitchen is your favorite room in the house. I'm Mary Mamalidi here with a handful of goodies from my kitchen, including food trends, cooking tips, and of course, some delicious recipes.
1: Mary, thanks for being with us. Welcome back. How are you?
3: Oh, it's great to be back. Well, I miss I- you guys.
1: Hey, well, it's nice to have I you on. You. But, uh, but uh, Mary, that's because you're so busy.
3: And yeah, we'd have you
2: on every day if we could.
1: Yeah. Did notice there was no denying. Oh, no.
2: I'm not. I always
1: have time for you guys. I'm waiting you for. You caught
2: me off guard.
1: I'm waiting for. Heck, you're right. Good excuse. I am busy. <laughs> uh, Mayor, uh, we're continuing our discussion on safe cooking techniques for the blind or low vision home cook. Uh, mm-hmm. We left off at the protein thermometer.
3: Yes. Yes. I want to mention before we jump into that, that I want every home cook to get comfortable with using their hands. Right. Right. So this is this is an additional kitchen utensil for us. Well, for many cooks, many chefs, but for us, it really is. You want to pay close attention to your senses. That's first and foremost. And then sounds, smells, texture of the ingredients. All of that when cooking, because it plays a big part for us, aside from these little tips that we're going to share today. So we talked about the protein thermometer. Mm-hmm. Protein thermometer. Um, this is key. This is a great tool to have, and I suggest getting a talking protein thermometer. So what this is a talking thermometer. It's a digital um, thermometer. It's got the digital screen. You can get one with a larger screen, but this one goes one step further, and it'll read what's on the screen for us. Now, I don't know Absolutely. if either of you have this. Have you tried this?
1: Yep. Right. I it's,
3: it can't live without it. Yeah.
1: I would imagine It's, it's that. just,
3: it's a game changer. Yeah. I mean, I know I say this with all of them, but this one really is because it comes in so handy. But the tip I want to give you with this is when you're measuring the internal temperature of the protein, so whatever it is, if it's steak, if it's chicken, um, I don't want you to do it in the hot pan, right? I want you to get that off the element. So what I suggest is taking that protein, either removing it from the pan, putting it on a plate, um, and then taking the temperature, you insert the probe from there into the protein and then take the temperature from there, or if you cut it in pieces, just take a piece off on a plate. I don't want anyone fidgeting near that element, near that fire element or whatever mm-hmm. that heat is.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It just okay. keeps
3: it that little extra step. Don't stick your hand you right in the air fryer, people. Don't right. do it. Do not.
2: Back uh, Mayor, away, will it,
1: will it work, though, there. like a roast? If you're, you know, you do a roast, you want to make sure it's at the, and you you open it up. But it will work. It doesn't throw it off because of the heat from no. the oven, of course.
3: No, it doesn't. No, it's a safety it doesn't thing. at all. Okay. Yep. It's a safety thing. It's just literally to take, I mean, well, when you're doing a roast, it's a larger piece of meat. So it's yes. easier to kind of extend, you know, put a pair of tongs in the other hand, something that'll give you that extension where it's not your hand directly on that hot piece of protein or that hot roast, okay. right? Something where it'll tell you where it is and then you probe it. I think that's more of, of you know, if it's a smaller size of chicken or, you know, personal portion size or uh, whatever the case is, and you don't want to kind of risk putting your hand in that hot pan or, or pot.
1: Very good. So that's why
3: I recommend taking it out and just putting it on a plate to measure it.
1: Right. Perfect.
3: Manual food choppers. Guys, definitely something that I recommend. So there's two. The first one is those small palm held ones. You know, the ones like, it looks like um, it's the shape of a cylinder, has a button on the top um, of the lid where you kind of, you put the, the ingredients at the bottom, inside there are blades. So when you push down on that button, it just, I don't want to say the name, the brand name was like the slap chop. When it yeah, first came yeah, out, yeah, I remember that. Yes, top of it, right. And it. You chops remember on the
1: commercials? They'd have those infomer- exactly. and you'd, That's all you'd hear, Mary. First that you knew, it was on because you. It was yeah, that's yep. it. And you
3: know, you know exactly what's on the for screen. Sure. Yeah. Um, and everyone, I, I have to admit, everyone was kind of curious, and if not, you got actually tempted to buy it. But I recommend buying it now, um, because it's great for garlic. It's great for nuts. Um, it's something that if you don't have to chop it in uniform sizes, if you don't want to keep the same size, it can be a little, I want to say rustic, um, that would be great for it. And it keeps your hands away because it's a smaller item, keeps your fingers safely away from it. Um, and it's great for small batch chopping. If you're looking to chop maybe onions, let's use onions as an example. There's this other one. It's a larger box shape. So it's like a Tupperware, um, at the bottom. And then on top, it's got a lid and then there's like this blade of grates at the top of the lid with another little kind of lid over the hat. So how it works, is is hard to explain, but how it works is you put that half an onion over those blades, the lid or the cover that goes over those blades to keep them out of the way, you press down on that and you put a little bit of force and it'll push that onion right through those grates of those blades so you get like this dice that falls into the Tupperware piece. And I love it because you can get a larger one and dice a lot of things at the same time,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which is really cool. Easy to clean. Pop yeah. it into the dishwasher. I want you to keep your hands away from those blades, though. So if you are washing it in the sink, soak it in some dish, wa- dish soap and, and water. Um, use rubber gloves while you're handling them. Just to, make, just to get that little layer of protection if you are rinsing them in the uh, sink not pop them into the dishwasher okay next yeah next reading a recipe in a cookbook mm. right i don't know about you guys but i have so many cookbooks and there are so many recipes that i love I have that so many fun- google tabs open i
1: was just gonna <laughs> yeah.
3: say right i'm yep. always frank loses it with me he says how do you do this there's just tons <laughs> of that yeah but right but for those when you're using google or your google tabs you can actually use the google home for that Right. Yes. And I honestly, it's a staple in my home.
1: It'll like I send have it to you, it you in too. In my right. kitchen.
3: It does. Yeah. It does. It's great. You can pause the recipe. You can fast forward. You can go back. Um, It'll go through the entire recipe with you. I absolutely love it. I love that it converts measurements on the fly. It'll tell you anything you need to know where you don't have to go searching for it. The other is... If you want to get those recipes from a cookbook, a specific cookbook that you used to enjoy, uh, there are some that I did, but the writing is just, its not the font's not dark enough for me now or large enough. Mm. So what I use is Seeing AI. So it's an app that's available to any smartphone user, whether you're Android or iOS, and you download the app. Using that app, you launch it, take a photo within the app. It'll actually convert that page of the cookbook into an accessible page and it'll actually read it to you so you can pause it fast forward do whatever you want but it'll read that recipe to you which is nice you can still enjoy those cookbooks that you used to love uh, and those recipes that you loved um, in a different way i love it
2: i think that this is very uh individual right mary how you uh approach maybe some of the influences you've had or conversations you've had with other people uh, it could really impact the way that you decide is the best way for you to read a recipe and even with like large print in physical books there's mm-hmm. people have talked about you know making sure they're in um, plastic covers so you can still get your fingers all up in them without <laughs> damaging your books and yeah. papers and things like that or tablets blow them up there lots of ways to do it
3: yeah yeah Exactly. You have to find ways that work for you. These are two that I get asked about quite frequently. Yes. Um, and these are two that I use and I thought Mm -hmm. if it helps me, it may help others. And this is why I relate. And plus I'm also a little bit of a techie geek. Um, I love trying new things when it comes to technology and these two definitely are the top of my list when it comes to the kitchen amazing measuring ingredients guys this one
1: oh biggie
3: it right it's a biggie so this one here a couple of things that have helped talking scale but i know for some they say that maybe it's a little too expensive that can be pricey the next thing i would suggest is nesting measuring cups then do you know which ones i'm talking about the ones where it's the size of a cup the size of a half a cup and then a third and then a quarter and they all fit into one another all into the same those are wonderful Exactly. Those are wonderful. Exactly. Like the the teaspoons, the tablespoons, they're all kept in order on a ring so you can just follow along. Um, What I love about these is when you're measuring dry ingredients with these, with let's say you take out a half a cup, you need a half cup of flour, you dip it into your flour, you use your finger to level it off, which is what I love because you don't need anything in additional. You feel it, you know where you are, and then you can place that into your bowl. Where it can get tricky is when you're doing uh, liquid, Now, I have a couple, but if you guys have any, I would love to hear them because some that I found were either you pour the liquid into a bowl, use your spoon or your measuring spoon to scoop it out and then place it into your uh, whatever item you're baking. So let's use vanilla as an example. Okay. Right? Um, Two ways you can do it. You pour the vanilla into a bowl, use your measuring spoon, scoop it out of there, and then pour it into your bowl where you're baking everything, where you're combining all your ingredients. The other way is if you have a teaspoon that you can actually bend yeah. And what it is when you bend the the um the handle, it'll form like a shape like an L, let's say. Right. So this way you can lower that spoon portion into the liquid, pull it out and you don't have to really maneuver um the handle. So oh. it's almost like a ladle effect, I would say. Almost
1: like a crane, uh, uh, what do you call it? The 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 bird and the a crane uh, like a the spill, the bill, the spoon almost it scoops up and you drop it in. Without yes. having, because yes. you pull it straight up and it just lifts it out.
3: Straight up, and yeah. you put it in. Or the other is to pour over. Um, again, put a bowl underneath, and if you want to pour the ingredient, the liquid into your teaspoon or tablespoon, the bowl, uh, the bowl below will catch that. Any others I like that, that you guys one. have that?
2: I don't know. The one with the bowl? I'm a bit lazy. I'm not going to lie <laughs> yeah. in this regard. Yeah. I don't really want to broadcast the way that I do it. <laughs> Mary? So in other words,
1: <laughs> uh, a pinch, a dash, that's what we yeah. say. This Drip. is from mom's recipe. How many recipe. drips did I hear? That must be yeah. a
2: teaspoon. <laughs> um, anyways. Or, and that's or, great for
3: cooking. That's great <laughs> yeah. for cooking. But when Just, you get it's to not baking, to great for repeating. No. It's not baking great for repeating. is not. Repeating do you remember? Do you guys remember the Mookies? I'm just saying.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, go back to that reference all the time. Uh, no, but it's true. With baking, I've most often than not, just the, you know, if it's wide mouth, anything, especially mm-hmm. the dry ingredients, you can stick the spoon right in. Uh, but anything else, I either pour over the sink and then have the, the sink take the excess. But if you can't mm-hmm. balance, like if you're not sure you're holding your spoon straight at all, um, it's got to mm-hmm. be a bowl so you have something closer, right?
3: Exactly. And I like that kind of, you drop it in and then you level it off. Like that that L-shaped kind of spoon thing is really handy to have. Um, And you don't have to buy really expensive ones. Just anything that'll work. That's a measuring spoon that you can actually bend the handle.
1: Yeah, that you don't mind doing that. And it's for our convenience. It's wonderful.
3: Absolutely. How about storing knives? This one's a big one. Yep. Right. I mean, I would love to eventually get myself a little knife drawer where everything lines up in the drawer, but right now my kitchen isn't designed that way. So what I use is those blocks, the knife block. Yep. And then it keeps yep. all my chef's knives and everything in there in its place uh, where the blades are covered. So if I run my hand over top, I don't have to worry about getting it onto a blade. Um, or running it along something I just hit the handle and I know that if there's one missing I know which one is missing because I know which one belongs where
1: and you just get the Um, ones that are multi that have the multi slots in it
3: exactly I know it's bulky um, Mm -hmm. but it's very helpful and it's useful if you're using chopping knives and all that adding salt and pepper to meals seems simple enough but it can get tricky because you want to make sure that you're adding what you, what your preference is, what you like. Yeah, so don't I would suggest do shaking- Don't do the pouring them, thing. Right? No, do not. <laughs> directly into the unless, pot. right? Unless... <laughs> I remember <laughs> learning that,
1: it. especially when my mother and father right. were trying to be kind to the food. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I, I it's just soft. need some water. I'll
3: be right back. Salty. Right. And we've all done that. Oh. Everyone yeah. has done it, right? So what I suggest is pour it into your hand and then using your fingers, pinch from your hand and then sprinkle into your dish. I like using kosher salt for many reasons, but one of them is because it is a a larger grain salt. So you can actually take that salt, you feel it in your fingers, you sprinkle it over top, it's lovely. Um, The same with any other ingredient. Salt and pepper is key for this. Or if you want to use a pepper mill or a salt mill, um, I got it down to science. for certain meals that I really like making, which I make often. I'll know that maybe two twists of the pepper mill is perfect for me right? So you kind of, you gauge it that way.
1: Hmm. And that,
3: uh, that does yeah. take a
1: lot of just experience learning that, right? For people who feel, well, you know, I can try it that way, but it, it is something you learn. You, you, you trial by error, you have to.
3: Mm-hmm. And I always recommend under salting. Okay. The reason why is because you can add more salt if you need it. If someone prefers more salt than you do, they can add it to their dish. If you oversalt. You can't do anything with it. Right. You got to eat it just the way it is, over salted, Mm -hmm. too much salt, whatever it is. And then you get sodium face the next morning. (laughs) But you just blow up. (laughs) I (laughs) like that.
1: Sodium face.
3: Right. Sodium face definitely happens. Um, What about vegetable peeler? Guys, you have to have a vegetable peeler in your cupboard because it can be used for anything. Even if you're not comfortable shredding carrots on a box grater, use your vegetable peeler. Right. And just keep on peeling them and all of a sudden use your hands and just tear it apart. There you got shredded carrots. <laughs> right. So it's just i love <laughs> like, it. It's, yeah, it's me. It's just reinventing how we use certain things.
1: Mary, yes. what are you whittling um, there? Carrots. <laughs>
3: carrots. <laughs> <laughs> no, so true. And then you can break and tell when I'm doing it because then you can hear it kind of at the end when it slows down and then you hear, <laughs> so that's me yeah. eating the rest of it. Right. Those are my sound effects for the day. (laughs) (laughs) It (laughs) worked. Straining pasta. Mm -hmm. Cooking pasta, it's always uncomfortable for some people to either pour those hot pots of water into a colander, into the sink, the whole bit. So if you're not comfortable with it, take tongs. Take a pasta spoon, uh, which is like a spoon with these little kind of prongs sticking up. And when you scoop it in, you can lift up your spaghetti or your linguine. Out of the water, it collects it, and you can put it right into your pot of sauce or whatever you're you're cooking it with. Okay. Um, use tongs; you could take it right from the bottle, the you know, the pot of water right into your pan. Um, awesome. A little pasta water is just—it's gold; it's okay. just like liquid gold. Mary, we it's have true. only
1: about a minute. Can we work in a quickly the recipe?
3: Let's do the recipe because this one's a lot of fun. And there's this whole thing about homemade popcorn, or you convert, you're doing like brown paper bag popcorn now. I've been doing this forever. So homemade kettle corn in under five minutes, it's in the microwave, but all you need is a third cup of popcorn kernels, two teaspoons grapeseed oil or canola oil. You want a neutral oil for this. One tablespoon sugar, quarter teaspoon salt, mix those all together, coat the kernels with everything, pour them into a brown paper bag, and then just fold it over a couple of times, stand that up in your microwave, hit three minutes or use the popcorn setting. Listen for that popping. If you're getting a slow pop at the end, then you know that your popcorn's done. Take it out, pour it in a bowl. You are done.
1: Awesome. Okay, Mary. Real quick, uh, what's the latest on the Kitchen Confession podcast? I got 30 seconds for you.
3: Episode 121, Coconut Choka with uh, Chef Devin Rajkumar. He, um, He went into culinary school in about 2009. He's been experimenting with food since he was a child, watching his grandmother grind coconut for choka and helping out, um, in the temple kitchen, he modernized the, he's trying to modernize the craft, keep traditions and tastes of his East and West Indian cuisines in today's, in his today's, uh, it is dishes today that's coming out guys. Um, so chef Dev, he tells us about his uh, early influences, food memories, um, his international adventures. He's a wealth of knowledge, uh, and nice. he's got some great advice for beginners awesome. to set on uh, and breaking into the industry.
1: And that podcast available today?
3: Yes. Yes. Published today.
1: Mary, as usual, thank you so much. Um, We appreciate it. Some great advice. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks on the show.
3: Thanks, guys. It was so much fun catching up.
1: Check out Mary's discussions and uh, recipes, folks. And you can find them at kitchenconfession.com. And, of course, find the uh, Kitchen Confession podcast on your favorite podcast platform where you can uh, check everything out there and enjoy the podcast as The Fresh One is available today. Up next, we'll see what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Tell you a little bit about our show. Stand by. The Pulse. This Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita speaks to Andrea Caledon, a PhD student from Memorial University, about her research into the disability memoir as an accessibility device for able-bodied readers. That's The Pulse. Thursday at one thirty p.m. Eastern time or ten thirty p.m. Uh, excuse me, Pacific time. Also available as a podcast and on YouTube as a video podcast. Rum Booth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program, reminding you our show is available as a podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and check it out. Rum quickly, any particular segment you want to guide people back to to check out via podcast?
2: TV talk with Greg David showing a lot of love to our um, US television networks. I'd say check this one out because it comes with good recommendations from Greg. He's watched the stuff he's talked about all through today's segment, so it was fun.
1: It really was. Uh, Greg had some wonderful feedback, especially if you're maybe not familiar with the programs. Uh, really great to, to hear some of that from, from Greg uh, here on the program. Ryan Delahanty had a lot of great things going on out east, too, uh, as he brought to us his regional report. Just filling us in on, on accessible transit and, and new stuff happening out there in Halifax and the region. You may want to check that out as well. Paul Daniels here to tell us what's coming up tomorrow on AMI-TV's Now with Dave Brown. Good day, sir. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's
0: show, the recent announcement by Russian President Vladimir Putin to mobilize 300,000 reservists for active duty to Ukraine and its threat to use nuclear weapons in that country, if necessary, has considerably raised the stakes in the ongoing conflict. For sure. We'll speak to Professor Marta Ditchik from uh, Western University on where she thinks this war is going. A story about Mayim Ziv, our disability activist and friend of uh, AMI, uh, about her horrible experience with a badly damaged wheelchair on an Air Canada flight to Israel received a lot of attention. We'll speak with uh, columnist Aaron Broverman, pardon me, and Dave Brown about their own personal experiences with the airlines and what uh, we need to do to avoid such problems happening again. And of course, we'll have Stephen Scott from Double Tap Canada telling about his new uh, Google Pixel 6a phone. He likes it. He really likes it. Tell us why and what this means for his attachment to Apple products and whether or not it's losing its passion.
1: Okay, Paul. Sounds good. Really does. Sounds nice. Also, uh, it sounds like more of... A market and choice for people. Mm, Talk to you later, sir. Take care. Paul Daniel joins us to tell us what's coming up tomorrow. Now with Dave Brown. They're available as a podcast, too, by the way. If you want to catch up on the program, subscribe uh, using your favorite podcatcher. You can see them live on AMI-tv at 9 a.m. in the morning right here uh, over at uh, AMI-tv with our friends over there. Uh, yeah, Rum, it's wonderful when you hear about people liking stuff, knowing that transitional stuff is easier and gives us more choice of technology.
2: As always, because technology keeps expanding and we keep finding, I don't know about better, but definitely different ways, more convenient ways to do things.
1: Yeah, and I think being able to be a little more, this is what I like, this is what I don't mm-hmm. like. How do I make a informed decision? We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Have a wonderful night. Michael Fair tomorrow brings us Speaking of Technology, part two of Apple's Far Out 2022 presentation. Fern Lullum is on the show tomorrow with us, and she'll be here to highlight disability campaigns, uh, disability-focused campaigns being run by not-for-profit organizations in the UK. Also, we speak with Luke McConnell, who's hosting a fundraising event in memory of his good friend Justin Masati with Sockability Canada. We learn more about this great initiative and why it's important to him tomorrow. We have the Thursday Buzz with Bill Shackleton when he joins us. Step back in time, folks, tomorrow and explore... 70 years of Canadian children's television on the program with the Canadian Museum, or at the Canadian Museum's Histories, their newest uh, uh, exhibition that they've got. It's featuring everything from Pepino to Paw Patrol, uh, television from our childhood. And, of course, on the roundtable, we have friend of the show, Mark Phoenix, as he joins us. Hope you will, too. Brock is going to hang out with me tomorrow. Join us starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Fedora's off to you, folks. Wonderful night.
4: Well, today is probably going to be the last really warm day uh, before temperatures take a dive into the fall temperatures. And uh, no doubt, producer Jeff Ryman here is going to get his friends on from the Weather Network very shortly. If you're listening to the Full Show podcast, you probably know that Jeff is a big weather nerd. In my house, autumn is the favorite season. We just got back from a little weekend getaway to Prince Edward County, and it is beautiful this time of the year. Also, the peak season of tourism is over, so it kind of feels like you get the place to yourself a little bit. While we were there, we visited this orchard, Loch if you're ever in the area. And they had these Ariondack chairs uh, set up overlooking their orchard. And we just sat down, had a flight of ciders, and uh, read books for the better part of an afternoon. And it was very relaxing. So while I've enjoyed my summer, I'm really ready to bring on that cool and crisp autumn weather.